You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Let's go ahead and take a look at Jude, verses 22 and 23. God's Word says, Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Let's pray. Lord, as we look to your word, as we seek to hear from you, as we, as we hear these instructions and this guidance, God, may we heed it and may we take it seriously. May we live it. May we be a people who understand what it looks like to live this out. And God, for those who may be wavering, show them your mercy through us. For those who may be, be playing with fire, Lord, pull them from the sin, save them, and use us how you see fit. May we be open and ready to be used. And Lord, for those or in even greater circumstances, we pray for their salvation, if necessary, their soul. If they are that wayward, God, we pray that you would do a mighty work in them. And Lord, now I ask that you would use this sermon. Speak through me however you see fit. Help me to do this as, as you see best. Help us to hear it, Lord, that it would impact us greatly. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been reflecting the last couple of weeks on the Passion Week. Uh, the Passion Week is like starting at Palm Sunday, so Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, that week that John gives so much of the gospel to as our attention is, is driven to. And during that week, that's a big week for Jesus. Jesus did a lot of things, but during that week, two of his closest disciples, both of whom were members of the 12 apostles, they were selected to be witnesses, actually betrayed Jesus. What a crummy week. Two of his disciples betrayed him. Judas, of course, which we, we know, but also Peter. Peter stumbled. He, he listened to lies. He bought into his fear. He fell. He stumbled. Judas and Peter, if these two could stumble, if they could fall, if they could, if they could have such, such a fall, we would be foolish to think that we are safe from such a terrible thing. We could just as easily go the way they went. And Jude's letter here is a warning to us. It's a warning to Christians. Right? Verse 1 says, To those who are called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. I don't know a better description of a Christian than that. His warning is to Christians, and it's a warning to these believers that people are going to come in, and they're going to propagate the lies that we might be tempted to hear and accept and listen and follow, that there's a, there's a potential of these people who've crept in by stealth, distorting the truth, and it says they will lead many astray, maybe even some of us. This is a warning from Jude to watch out for them. And he explains a little bit about what they look like. Watch out for them. The people he's talking about, uh, they blaspheme everything they don't understand. That's verse 10. They twist the grace of Jesus Christ into something gross and sensual and deny that Jesus is who he says he is. That's verse 4. They're in error. And he gives some examples like Cain, Balaam, and the people of Korah's rebellion. That's verse 11. And that's serious error. They create divisions and are worldly, not having the Spirit. That's verse 19. They're dangerous to the church. They're described like, like reefs just under the surface that, that sea captains, ships don't see. They don't see it coming, 
and they slam into them, and thus resulting in a shipwreck, um, just utter destruction. They're described as these dangerous reefs that wreck ships. Their eternal destiny is described as this, quote, the blackness of darkness. That's verse 13. And the deep darkness for the judgment of that great day, or on that great day. That's verse 7. And then verse 7 says that they're destined for this punishment, the eternal fire. Verse 4 connects these wolves who've snuck in, these dangerous people, to the people he's describing. They're in among us. Watch out for them. They're here. They're dangerous. And Jude's letter is a warning to the church to help keep them safe. Right? He says in verse 18 that the, the, the God's people of old, the prophets and the apostles, they told us this would happen. We've been warned. We know it's coming. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. He writes, they told you in the end times there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. So from the time of Jude's letter till now, the church has been living in these end times with these wolves among us. But inspired by God, Jude has given the church that's us, the people, God's people, instruction for life in these end times. Instruction for navigating through this world as we are just passing through onto the eternal city to glory. He's given us instructions to make it through safely. In essence, he's given us a roadmap. He says, but you, dear friends, when we get to verses 20 and 21, you, dear friends, and then here's a bunch of instructions for how to protect yourself. We talked about that last week. Right? Stay in the love of God. And, and it's how you protect yourself. And then, in the verses I just read in 22 and 23, he gives us instructions how we are to help our brothers and sisters who are potentially being seduced by these dangerous reefs, these false teachers, these ones who have the real potential of ending up a shipwreck. And that's the focus for what we're going to look at today. The instructions for how we're told or, or even commanded to help our brothers and sisters to help them. Christ showed us mercy when he came to us as sinners in his grace. And then as his ambassadors, he's now saying, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to go and show mercy to your brothers and sisters. You need to be his incarnate hands and feet and mouth to help others. So heeding these instructions, listening to these instructions, following them, living them, is what may actually keep a brother or sister, maybe one sitting right next to you, maybe one somewhere else in this room, or maybe even not here this morning, these instructions might help this backslidden brother or sister from slipping down, from taking a fall, from moving down into the flames of hell in one way or another. You might get to be a part of how Jesus is going to help them. But Jude offers us a warning because the further the backslider goes down into this dabbling in sin, flirting with the flames, the further they go down, the more dangerous and grave the situation gets even for those of us who are trying to help. And Jude here is providing us with instruction or a warning on sort of a graduated scale, an escalating effort, right? He doesn't say, well, they're starting to sin, write them off, ignore them, mind your own business. He says, nope, we're going to get into it. But you're going to get into it at the appropriate level in the appropriate way. Right? This escalating process is not new to the Christian. The hearers 
of Jude's letter weren't surprised by the idea of a graduated process. They've heard it before. Jesus uses an graduated process when he talks about how brothers are to help a brother who sins against them, or sisters, right? This is not new, but Jude is providing us with a little bit more detailed information. So he's adding to, he's helping us understand better how we're to help our brothers and sisters. So you might remember in Matthew 18, this is uh, pretty common in a church, it's pretty common among how we function, Matthew 18 gives instructions on what we do if a brother or sister sins against us. All of us have probably had this happen. Somebody sins against us. It's, what are we supposed to do? How are we to handle this? And what Jesus says is, first, we're to go to that brother or sister. Assuming everybody's a Christian here, they're going to be open to hearing the Bible, right? They're going to be open to hearing, hey, the Bible says this is sin. Here's the gospel. Here's how you can be restored. We are to go to them and share Jesus' words, the gospel, and help to to rectify their dabbling in sin. That's Jesus' methodology. Great. But what if they don't listen? What if they just think you're a nincompoop and you have no concept of what you're talking about and they reject all of it? What do you do? Well, you write them off, right? No. Jesus says, no, no, you don't give up on them. You get more firepower. You get another spirit-filled brother or sister in Christ. You say, let's get coffee. We got to meet. And you go together and you sit down with that person and you say, listen, we both agree this is what the gospel is and this is what sin is. And we want to show it to you. We want to read the word of God to you. Incidentally, this is where Matthew 18, 20 says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. It's about the restoration of a fallen or a sinful brother or sister. Jesus is always with us, but in this case, the gospel's there, restoration is there. Oh, good. Fantastic. Hopefully, we've seen this brother or sister restored. They've turned from sin. The Bible won the day. Yay! But what if it doesn't? But what if they still won't believe? Goodness. Matthew 18, 17 says, that's when you bring this to the church. Bring it to the church. So this is where we get on a website. We post to the whole world so all the church around the whole globe can hear about this person's sin, right? No. When he's talking about the church here, he's not saying the big C church. He's not saying the, the visible church, it's sometimes called, or the militant church, it's sometimes called the church here on earth, all the living believers. Not even the church. We're not even going to call all the, the Christians in the whole town. He's talking about your local body of believers that this person claims to be a member of claims to be a Christian, has joined together with this body to represent Jesus to the world, to, to live out those precepts in the one another's. This is how we've, we've agreed to live out the gospel together. But the problem is he's not representing Jesus well. He's not listening to what he said he believed. He's not doing this. So now the whole church is called to say, hey, we've got a, we've got a brother or sister in problem. All hands on deck. If you're a member at the church here, and we've pre-agreed in the covenant that when there's a problem, we're all going to get involved. It's time. We're all going to get involved. And everybody goes to share the gospel, and everybody prays, and everybody does what they can to help this brother or sister who's dabbled in sin and rejecting the gospel. It's a beautiful picture of how we help one another. What if the person still won't listen? That's a stubborn person. But what if they just won't listen? 
Well, then what does it say? By the way, this is what church discipline is. This whole process of going one, going in a couple, bringing it to the church. What does it say the church is to do with this person? String them up and kill them, right? No. We're now to treat them like an unbeliever. What does that mean? It means they have they've said, I don't believe this. I'm not going to represent Jesus. And what do we do with unbelievers? String them up and kill them, right? No, no. We share the gospel with them even more. We recognize they need prayer. They need the gospel. We need to help them. There's no point when we're telling them, see you later. We're in it. Now we're just saying, well, you confess this, but you don't really believe it, so I'm going to take a different approach to this thing. Now we're going to talk about it from that direction. Right? That's Jesus' method, this graduated method for helping a brother or sister who's in sin. But in Jesus' method, the sin was just the sin. Right? But did you see the gradual, gentle, escalating effort in bringing the mercy of the gospel to bear on the person. Do you see that? We need to keep that in mind when we, when we now up this up a little bit with Jude. Because where Jesus was just saying there's a sinner, Jude is actually putting qualifications, levels to what that sin looks like. Okay, so now, same process, same elevating, gradual process, except now the person might be in one of three categories. They might be a sinner or not a sinner, but close to sin, maybe thinking about it, who is wavering or in doubt, struggling a little bit with God's word, but maybe not walking in sin yet, maybe not dabbling. That's category one. Category two is dabbling, playing with fire, putting yourself in danger. And category three is completely ablaze in sin. I really appreciate Pastor Josiah's children's sermon, thinking of eating a donut, eating a donut, climbing up on the shelf, falling off the shelf, and having all the food in the pantry fall on you, and now you're a glazed donut, right? Like, I like that. Jude's instruction gives us this greater detail because the danger is growing in degree. The danger to who? To everybody involved. We still want to follow the principle, but we need to be cautious based on how fallen and how sinful that person is. So I want us to take a look at all three of these categories and what we're to do about it. Let's go ahead and take a look at the first one. It's verse 22. It starts by saying, have mercy on those who waver. That's the first group, those who waver. Maybe your translation says those who doubt. Have mercy. Well, we just heard about mercy, didn't we? In the verse before, if I had read the whole book, we would have just heard in the previous verse that Jesus had mercy on us. We're to wait expectantly for the mercy that he shows us for eternal life. Jesus shows us mercy. And now in the very next verse, Jesus wants us to show mercy to those who doubt. Where do we get this mercy? We get it from Jesus. It's Jesus working through us. We should understand this. Were you not wavering? Were you not doubting? Maybe were you struggling with your beliefs or with your worldview when Jesus first found you? Is that not where you were? And didn't Jesus use other people to help show you mercy? Didn't he maybe bring some people into your life to share the gospel or to help you in some way or to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? I always ask that question, and there's always somebody who says, oh, but I I didn't have that. I found a Bible in a hotel room, and I pulled it out, and I read it. Well, the Bible was written by Jesus through other 
believers. So he's using people for that purpose. It was transcribed and it was uh, superintended through various means and people. And by the way, there's a publishing company that published that Bible. And if you read one free in a hotel, somebody paid for that Bible. And by the way, somebody put that Bible there. Are you telling me that nobody was involved? No, absolutely. People, God's people are involved in God's mercy being proclaimed so that his mercy might be shared. And now he's saying, show mercy this way. You get to be involved now. You get to be a part. How has Jesus used other believers to show you mercy? Think about that. Think about all that God has done to show you his love, his gospel, his care. And just thank God for that. I mean, thank God that he would show you his mercy through his people. But let's not forget now that Jude is talking to believers And in the case of verses 22 and 23, he's talking about believers. Everything he's talking about here is not somebody hearing the gospel for the first time, although that's important. Everything he's talking about here is what believers need. So that should show us something very important. The truth and the mercy and the effort required to help the non-believer, the lost person, become found and become a believer is exactly the same truth, effort, and energy the believers still need to hear the gospel and be restored by Jesus Christ for your whole life. That doesn't change. All believers, as believers, are still going to have times of doubt, times of struggle, times of, what is happening, God? Maybe, maybe I should dabble over here and dabble. Temptation, we're go- it doesn't just disappear because you're a believer now. You still will struggle. You still will worry. You still will have anxiety. You still will have depression times. I've been down this week. Do I blame God? No, I seek God and his people. This is what happens with believers just like it happens with lost people. Jesus shows mercy and he shows mercy through others. So praise God for the people that he has put in your life, that he has indwelt to bring himself closer to you. And now... With all this in mind, Jesus is telling us, through Jude, he's using this person, he's telling us to draw near to those in doubt, to get close, to help them. If they're wavering in their faith, help them. Speak the truth in love. Pray with them. Answer questions. Read the Bible with them. Hey, let's walk Through this together, there's a really fancy, really technical, really complicated Christian word for all this. It's discipleship. Be a disciple and disciple someone else. It's discipleship. Walk with the people. Help them, and they'll help you. Now, the problem is Satan has sold us this huge, big, fat, hairy, nasty lie. He sold it to society, and we've accepted it in the church, and it's just a part of our culture part of most cultures. It's that we have no business in the lives of the people around us, that they should just be able to work through this on their own and have all the privacy they need. The most appropriate thing we could do is just let them be, stay out of it. It's none of my business. Who am I to help them in their doubts and their wavering? To each his own. It'll be okay, right? That's not the truth for the family of the people of God. Judas said, get in it. When everybody else is running away from the building burning, 
cautiously run in. We're going to get to that in a little bit later, how much caution you should exercise. Someone's struggling and everyone says, eh, I'm getting away from that. Figure out how to get in it. Get in the mess. Get in the fray. Let's help one another. That's how we are to protect each other from the lies of this false gospel that bring complete destruction and shipwreck of our lives. And this is true even of the hard stuff. So, you need to go to that brother or sister who has doubt and who is wavering. You need to just say, hey, how, how can I help? How can I help you? What are you thinking about? What's going on? Hey, I, I noticed some things here. I'm here for you. What can I do? And then pray with them and pray for them and pray for them often. Or maybe you're somebody who's needing some help. You're working through a problem. You're working through doubt. I just want to encourage that, that before you start dabbling in sin and that, you let somebody know. Say, you know, I, I could use some prayer. Hey, I'm struggling. Come talk with us. Come talk with the person sitting next to you. This is what we're supposed to be, right? And, and here's what happens. So you sit down with somebody. You start working it through. It might not be fixed overnight. This might be an ongoing process, sitting down, opening the Bible, reading together, working through it. This might take some time. Just stick with it. Stick with it and watch what happens. I've stuck with some brothers for a lot of years, and then something clicks. And praise the Lord, some brothers stuck with me for a lot of stubborn years, and then something clicks. But here's what may happen. They might drift into sin, and if they do, they start to dabble. If it, if it escalates Grab somebody else. Say, hey, let's all get coffee together. Let's pray together. I got another. Let's all, let's get in this thing. Let's work through this. Let Jesus work through his people to help his people. Be a part of that. When I returned from Iraq, I had some struggles with Christianity. Not, not Christianity itself, but with the Christianity in the church I saw around me. I would look at the church and I'd get so frustrated. And I'd say the dumbest things. I'd say, oh, I love Jesus, but man, his bride, I could do without her. She's a monster. <sighs> That's a stupid thing to say about Jesus' bride, by the way. You don't say that about another man's wife, especially if it's Jesus and the bride is the church. <laughs> I was struggling. And thanks be to my wife, who just made sure that I still attended corporate worship gatherings on a weekly basis, because it would have been really easy in the struggle to go, eh, I'm going to skip church today. The mountains are calling. A motorcycle's calling. I had a motorcycle. This would be a good day for a ride. Traffic's not very bad. Let's do this thing. And the next week, and maybe another week, and next thing you know, I'm dabbling in sin, forsaking the body. That's a sin. When the mountains are more important than your faith family. When the beach is more important than attending with the bride of Christ. She kept me from that, praise the Lord, but I'm, I'm very thankful for a couple different guys in this season at different times. Just said, hey, brother, you okay? Let's get lunch. Let's go out and chat. I am so thankful for those guys that say, what's going on? There's one guy, I sat down with him. Uh, he used to dip crunchy pretzels in spicy mustard. Like, that was his thing. Um, and I'd watch him do that, but he'd... You know, you're part of the bride of Christ, right? Doesn't it say something about you? Hey, why do you think Jesus loves the bride of Christ? Well, that's a good question. What are, like, maybe ten reasons why you think that Jesus would love his bride? And I'd have to come up with things, and suddenly I start to see it. He's just helping me. He was just helping me. Another brother would do the same thing. Let's just go along. Let's just get together and let's talk about these things. I am so thankful that God brought these people in my life 
to help me in my times of struggle because if I didn't have that, I'm sure the next step would have been, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm going to dabble in some sin here and some sin there and then maybe more and then maybe more and then maybe... Who knows where I might have been had I not received Jesus' mercy through Jesus' people in that season of my life. I am so thankful for them. I am so thankful that Christ did this through them. Who has God put in your life who can show you mercy this week? Maybe you need to reach out and say, I need some help. Who has God put in your life that you need to show mercy this week? See, we need to be getting this help and we need to be giving this help. This is the plan that Judas said God has put in place that helps us get through this difficult world. This cra- the plan is not look out in the world, freak out, complain, put the blankets over your head and don't go out in it. That's not the plan. The plan is help one another. Be the church. Who can you help? And maybe in what way can you get some help if you need it? I just want to encourage that we just open up and we do that. That's the first degree. We're going to have some time after the service where we're going to have a, a prayer time. One of the prompts is like, how can I get some help? You know, How can you pray for me? How can I pray for you in this way? That's a good time. If you're not a Christian, that's a good time to come talk with Pastor Josiah and I and say, look, I don't have any of that. I just need this family. We want to be here. We want to talk with you about this. Don't waste that time. The first the first degree, the first level in this is it's pretty normal. I think we all dabble in it here and there all over the place, wavering doubt, right? That's not that abnormal. But then it starts to get a little more serious. Now we start to have some problems. Now we start to see a dabbling with sin, a playing with fire. Verse 23 says, save others by snatching them from the fire. You're not saving them. Jesus Christ saves them with his death, burial, resurrection, all of his atoning work on the cross. But there's something to be said here. The idea is like a stick that's in the fire, campfire. Imagine the campfire, there's a stick in there. Maybe it's on fire a little bit, but there's enough of it, you can still grab it. You can still pull it out of the fire. It's not a total red-hot coal of disaster. It's just a stick that could be salvaged, and there's still time to save it. At one point or another, all of my kids have been really into collecting walking sticks when we go camping. They find the perfect stick. They fall in love with it. It's the greatest thing ever. And I remember a time when Lydia had picked out her favorite walking stick, and she was super happy with it, and it was wonderful, and, and it was great. But then nighttime comes. We're sitting around the campfire, and I just happened to grab a stick, her walking stick, to be the poker to move the logs around, right? And I'm like not thinking too much of it. It's not a very big stick. I mean, Lydia was short, so she didn't need a very tall walking stick. Eh. And then I just kind of laid it in the fire next to the log. Right? But then in the light of the fire, I'm looking at it about 15 seconds later, I realize, that's Lydia's favorite walking stick. And I grab onto it and I yank it out of the fire and it's on fire. It's lit on fire now. And I'm wait, trying, to get, trying to save the walking stick. Had I let it stay in the fire for very long, all hope would have been lost. There would have been no way to save it. It would have been burned up. That's the picture here. That's what we're seeing. Grab your brother or sister, out of sin and, and save them because if it goes on too long, there may be no hope. It may have gone too far. Judah's echoing back to Amos 4.11 and Zechariah 3. Amos 4.11 is this, is this verse that says that God's talking to Israel. They've turned their back on him. They went into the Babylonian exile, all this stuff, but God says this to them. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And you were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you did not return to me. God punished them. He brought judgment. But instead of letting them be completely consumed, he snatched them out of the judgment. And then they still turned their back on him. But it's a stick being snatched out of the fire. Zechariah 3 is especially interesting. That's a vision of Joshua, the high priest. Joshua is standing before God, and standing at his right side is Satan, standing there to accuse him. And God says, isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? As if to say, he's safe. He might have dabbled, he might have been close, but he's safe. And then it goes on to say how Joshua's garments were filthy. They were stained and they were, they were all, as if he was like, you know, it's soot. It says, I have, then God gives him new clothes. And he says, see, I have taken your iniquity, the stained clothes, I've taken your iniquity from you. So we get a picture of a guy who was snatched out of the fire from God, but his clothes were all like covered in soot and mess because he was in the fire. It was like, he just got, ugh. But God gives him clean clothes. God grabbed him from the fire before it was too late. That's what we're hearing. So, so just like Jesus showing us mercy, he then, through us, is also using us to snatch a brother or sister out of the fire before it's too late. Reach in there. Don't grab the fire end. Grab the other end. Don't, you know, get in there, but get in there wisely and save this brother or sister who is dabbling in sin and should know better. All right, maybe it's a few wrong clicks on the computer. Maybe it's dating going too far. It's drinking too much and ending up in drunkenness. It's how far your gossip circles go. Gossip at all. Unforgiveness. Spinning off into hate. Wandering eyes. Stealing. All sorts of things. Right? We know, we know when we're dabbling in this way, when we start making excuses to get off the hook of God's holiness. That's how we know. You can probably think of examples. This is also why we can't just simply turn a blind eye to our brother or sister who is dabbling in this. A little bit of sin, eh, I'm not going to worry about it too much. But if we let it go too long, if we don't engage immediately, that fire isn't going to be just a one end of the stick. It's going to consume them. They'll be burned up. Now, please do not hear this as a believer can lose his or her salvation. That's not what Jude is saying. He's using an illustration. The illustration doesn't go into that direction. Instead, he's like, say, look, you're, you're saved. If this person is a believer, this person is saved. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection is sufficient for this person. They will be saved. Don't hear. That's, that's, that's not what he's talking about. Okay, if you're saved, you're saved. And if you're unsaved, you're not coming out of that fire anyway. What he's saying is, believer who sees somebody else in this needs to get involved. That's his point. It's not a doctrinal statement. It's a point to us. Snatch them from the fire, and he's creating an urgency because sin is serious, and the time is limited. That's what he's getting at. By the way, this is also why church membership is important. Because what happens in church membership is we're coming together, and we're saying, look, I'm making a covenant with my other representatives of Jesus Christ in this local church, that we're going to represent Jesus together. We're going to put on his jersey, and together we are going to be the witness to the world, and together we're going to show the world how we work together. And I'm giving permission in advance in this covenant for my brothers and sisters to snatch me out of the fire when I'm in the fire. And they're giving me permission and you permission in advance that when they're dabbling in sin that you get involved. They've given up the right to say, 
mind your own business, and instead said, please help me in the business of the Lord, that we would be the church. That's what church membership is, that we're in this together. It's just advanced permission. Now, that doesn't mean if you're not a member with somebody else who's dabbling in sin, you ought not to get involved because you didn't get advanced permission. It's just easier when you have advanced permission. It's a little more difficult when you don't. But if there's a brother or sister in the flames, you better get in there one way or another and snatch them out from the fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ, showing your Jesus hands reaching in, showing mercy, saving the person. That's the instruction that Jude is giving us. Now, there are some, maybe, here in our faith family that are coming to mind. Some of you live in more community with other brothers and sisters than I do. It's not Pastor Josiah and I's job to pay attention to everybody. We do, but we can't pay attention as closely to you and the people you're in close community with. So if there's somebody in your small group that you meet with, or somebody in your class, or somebody you're just friends with, and you know they're dabbling in sin, you need to jump in. You can text me and Josiah and say, hey, this person's dabbling in sin, and I will text you back and say, I am praying for you as you help them. Now, I'm still going to try to help. But Jude's saying it's on every brother and sister. Those who are wavering, those who are dabbling in fire. Right? We need to get involved and we need to be in it. Right? For God's glory. Okay, then there's one more group. There are those who are wavering and need mercy. There are those who are playing with fire. And finally, there's this group, still others. I think that would be a helpful way to translate that. There are still others who are so deep in the flames or so deep in their sin that even their clothing stinks of it. Their garments are stained by the sinful flesh. Verse 23 says, Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Okay, we should always love the sinner and hate the sin. Okay, we should do that, but we should never use that as an excuse to ignore the sin or to ignore the reality that it is the sinner who is committing the sin. Okay, that, that can't just be a flippant statement to ignore the situation. But this is not that. This is way more than that. It's way different than that. This is actually a serious warning about sinners and their sin and how dangerous it can be to you and to me. Okay, notice this addition. He said show mercy the first time, right, to those who waver? But now he says show mercy but with fear. This is a pretty easy Greek word, so I thought I would share it. It's phobos or phobos. Okay, it means fear or reverence or terror. If you'd like to remember, that's where we get our word phobia from. Phobos. That word has a range of meaning. Greek has a range of meaning. And here in verse 23... I don't think the range of meaning is reverence or like we would to God. I think it's fear and not fear of God, but fear of the sin and fear of the sinner or reverence for the sin and the reality of its seriousness, right? We're supposed to take this serious. There's supposed to be a fear. It's like the phobos I have for Bengal tigers, you can feel their power and their might. You can realize they could just crush your skull in a second when you're staring at them through the glass at the zoo. And even with the glass there, you feel this sense of awe and terror of the power and magnitude of the tiger. But what if there was no glass and you were at the zoo and the tiger was roaming free? 
you would uh, have a serious sense of phobos, of the tiger, right? You would take the tiger very seriously. And if you were in contact with the tiger, you would not take your eyes off the tiger, right? Because you know it's dangerous. And if you could, you would put a great distance between you and the dangerous tiger. You would have a healthy phobos of the tiger. But that's just a tiger, Jude is talking about something that utterly destroys for eternity. The person he's talking about is so steeped in sin and such a seriousness of sin that we should hate the clothing they're wearing while they're committing the sins. Or maybe the clothes they were wearing while they went to go commit the sins because they weren't wearing them when they were committing the sins. Even their clothes stink of sin. That's how steeped in it they are. This is serious. It might be demonic. It's destructive. It's wicked. For your case, for my case, for our own safety, it might be that we need to stay away. It's so serious that we need to to move back because we will get sucked into it. Like the alcoholic who goes back into the bar to help others find sobriety. That might be too dangerous. We might need to rely on God using some other people to help. And in this case, Jesus will do the work if they are saved He will take them to glory, even if they're further backslidden than the prodigal son. He will take them to glory, but he might not use you to get right in the thick of their mess. There's a warning here. You better really think about it. You better be real careful about it. Certainly, you can pray, and you should. By all means, you pray. But maybe you're not going to get into the thick of it. But if he decides, determines to use you, you better go in with serious caution, like the beekeeper with the whole net over the head. Like, I don't know what I would take to protect me from the tiger, but there'd be something. Right? You need to be very cautious. He's saying, be warned. This is serious now. And if the person is saved, God's going to take care of it. Maybe use you, maybe he won't. Pray like crazy. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord, but be cautious. If the person is not saved, then they're already in the fires that are going to consume them for eternity, and it's over anyway. The problem is we don't know. We're not in a position to know. So we just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. God knows we don't. So we pray and we pray and we pray. And if there's a way we can get involved very carefully, very cautiously, then we do. But we are careful. We trust the Lord. Here's the point. Why would Jude say all this? This This seems so hard. The point is we are to hate sin. God hates sin. Sin destroys. Sin ruins. Sin divides Sin breaks down. We are to hate sin, even the clothing the person's wearing when they're sinning. It's a picture, a metaphor, an illustration. Hate sin. Trust Jesus. Pray like crazy. But hate the sin. Christ showed us mercy. And he saved us. And Christ is not going to let us become people who just end up lost to doubt or even lost to this sin. If we're saved, We're saved. We are part of his plan, and now he's using us as part of that plan to help other saved, blood-brought brothers and sisters so that we all make it to the eternal city, navigating through this crazy, crazy world together. And we are together with Jesus in glory forever, even enjoying his blessing now. That's his plan. Now, I told you at the beginning of two disciples who betrayed Jesus, Judas and Peter. I am convinced, and there's a lot of theological debate about this, and I'm sure there are probably people in this room that will disagree with me. 
I am convinced that if Judah had not hanged himself, I said Judah, Judas, same name actually, but Judah shortened his name because his name is Judas. He didn't want to go by that. Who would want to go by that? No, that's not a popular name. If Judas had not hanged himself, I fully believe it would be possible for Jesus to have saved him. If he would have gone to Jesus and said, man, I done messed up real bad. I hope you will forgive me. There is nothing us mere mortals can do more powerful than what Jesus did on the cross. There is nothing so horrible and so heinous that it is unforgivable apart from denying Jesus to the day we breathe our last breath. What's the unforgivable sin? Denying Jesus. But even if you've done that once, you can still come back to him and he'll still forgive you of that. This side of eternity, unfortunately, the Bible teaches that Judas didn't do any of that. But Jesus went and found Peter. Peter, who thought he was too horrible, too awful, couldn't do it. Jesus went and found Peter. Jesus restored Peter. Jesus forgave Peter. Jesus called Peter to shepherd the church. Jesus did a mighty work in Peter. Uh, It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. I shouldn't be surprised, but I love this, and it surprises me every time, and it gets me every time that Peter would be restored. Jesus promises he'll do that. Jesus promises he will get those who are his to the end. He promises he will carry them. He promises he will use other means. And by the way, use some means with Peter. Hey, go tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus will get us all the way through this crazy world to the very end. And it's beautiful. And he uses others, his believers, to do it. So even if we stumble, there's hope. Even if we doubt, there's hope. Even if we're so consumed in sin that it seems hopeless, there's hope. Church, it's my hope and my prayer that we're that kind of church. That we're not just here for the donuts. We don't even have donuts. We don't show up here for the amazing, wonderful lattes. We don't even have lattes. We're not coming just for social activities and just for fun, just to see my friends, just to find a spouse. Just because of this, just because of that. That we're here because we are the people of God, being redeemed by God, to help each other by the power of God, to glorify God. That's the church I want us to be. And I hope we're that church. I hope you will join me in the prayer to be that church. And I hope that you will be ready to jump into the mess when we need to, to help our brothers and sisters. And if you're in the mess, I hope you would at least open yourself up and say, man, I am doubting. I have no idea what's going on right now. I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. And let your brothers and sisters help you. Because I don't think much more is going to glorify God more than that. When we faithfully obey the instructions that Jude gave us to navigate this crazy, crazy world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you have a plan for sin and you have a plan for the things that we're we're messing around with and dabbling in, that you have a plan for us and that we can help our brothers and sisters. God, I thank you that you show us Jesus' mercy through the people Jesus has shown mercy to. It's paradoxical and amazing. And Lord, let us be open to showing mercy and grace and love in others just by being faithful to you. And you'll do that through us. And we get to be your hands and your feet and your mouth and a hug and a tear and everything else, Lord, to help our brothers and sisters. I just thank you and praise you for all of that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.
We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.